0: Hello, welcome to A Leader Like Me podcast, where we will be amplifying diverse voices. My name is Adwita Tal. And I'm Priya Bates,
1: and we're co-founders of A Leader Like Me. We really hope you
0: enjoy this listen. This week, we interviewed Olivia Bussey, who is the Head of Quality and Compliance for NCC Education an awarding body and international provider of British education in computing and business. She's also the responsible officer for an organization working with a global network of centers and universities. Olivia provides effective and practical recommendations support and advice to senior management while modifying, improving, and strengthening compliance arrangements with Ofqual, Qualification Wales, and overseas regulators. Olivia's worked in the education sector for 15 years and has honed her skills in policy development, qualification development, and project management as well. She is passionate about ensuring all young people, and especially girls, have access to a quality education and volunteers as an enterprise advisor across Greater Manchester in the UK. Olivia also works very closely with heads of schools and colleges to help develop their careers program. I loved this chat with Olivia. Talk about somebody who is passionate about education, and Olivia will pop up. I don't know about you, Priya, but what did you think about the chat we had with Olivia?
1: Oh, my favorite part of Olivia's story is when she talks about her grandmother, and the interesting ways that, and the creative ways she found to find money to pay for her girls to be educated way back when, when that wasn't the norm, that it was a preference for the men to be educated. But she you'll have to listen to the interview because I get such a kick out of how her mother, her grandmother did this.
0: Oh, that story. Yeah, that's that's definitely one story that stood up for me as well. And the fact that her grandmother refused to not let her daughters have the same education as her sons uh, and, and what she did to make sure that they got the education has filtered through to Olivia and her passion for education in girls. And the other thing I loved about Olivia was just, just her sheer determination, sheer determination to f- make things work and be visible and be counted. Again, that visibility thing was so important for her. And I met Olivia probably about four years ago in person when we went to an event together. And I mentioned this in during our chat, is when she walked into that room, everybody, and this is not even joking, everybody stopped and looked because she had such a presence. You know, she, she stood with a head held high, her shoulders back and she strided into that room like she owned it and that she caught my attention and there was no way that I was not going to allow I was no way sorry I was going to leave that meeting and that conversation without connecting with her and I remember going for a drink afterwards and she just blew me away with her passion around the education sector in particular and all the work that she does in that space. It's been so amazing having her be a member
1: of a leader like me. And I remember the time when she was considering applying to the uh, the non-executive board director role that she was considering and being a little nervous about doing that because there'd never been a Black woman who had been on that board. So it was it was a little bit scary to step forward and become more visible and try to do something different when you weren't going to be surrounded by leaders like you.
0: Exactly. And that, I remember that conversation because we had a group coaching session with her, didn't we, as part of the community? And we worked through her worries and her struggles and. And also, you know, what what why it was important for her to put herself forward and be counted in a space where people like us don't really exist, and especially black women and black men in the education sector are not seen. And she's determined, again, to change that. So the fact she is now the non-exec director and she's leading the way and she's a thought leader is just incredibly inspiring. Well, I'm really excited
1: for you to listen to this episode, be inspired by Olivia because she has so many wonderful things to say. So I'm hoping you really enjoy this incredibly inspirational conversation with Olivia. I think you'll love everything she has to say. And if you enjoy our program and our entire series, please share and please like and please leave comments. We'd really appreciate your support.
0: If you are responsible for the diversity, equity, and inclusion mandate for your organization, join WINGS, a
1: bespoke program where we bring the experts to you
0: and provide a safe community
1: to share best practices to help you progress and cultivate a culture of belonging.
0: You can find out more at aleaderlikeme.com. Hi, Olivia. Welcome to our Leader Like Me podcast. You know, we're so thrilled that you could be with us here today. So, just so our listeners know who you are and and what your background is a little bit, do you want to share a little bit about your journey um, and how you uh, started in the role that you're in today? Yes, thank you.
2: Hi, uh, Advita and Priya. Thank you so much for having me. I'm absolutely delighted that you invited me to this podcast interview and uh, especially on. Uh, in 2022 with everything that's going on, I'm really pleased to be Mm -hmm. a a woman of color uh, in my position and uh, to be in education and and perhaps maybe to inspire other young women who are like me, who are looking to get somewhere. So thank you so much. I just wanted to to, to express my gratitude before we get started. Thank you so much both for for having me. It's an absolute delight on my part. So I'll start with uh, my current role. I am working for an international awarding organization. And uh, the, the, the awarding organization is based in uh, over 50 countries. My current role is the head of quality and compliance and uh, the responsible officer for Ofqual, our key regulator. So Ofqual regulates all qualifications and assessments in England. So my role basically oversees all the qualities and processes across the businesses. I work uh, very closely with our board of directors to set the strategy mm-hmm. to make sure that we are reevaluating all the key components of the business and we're setting up direction of travel in terms of uh, our products and we are venturing to, into new markets. Part of my role as well is to just uh, mitigate any potential conflict of interest and any other risks that the business might face, including regulatory r- risk, which is a key big factor for us at the moment. My role has been sort of expanded. I've been in this role for the past five years. My role has expanded in in the scope of, I've been offered a position to sit as an executive director uh, for Mm -hmm. the awarding and assessment industry. This has been an exciting opportunity for me. I'm now exposed with uh, sitting alongside CEOs who are navigating the parameters of big, uh, large awarding organizations to myself, uh, managing and working within a small, medium awarding organizations. So I've been very, very fortunate to be in a position to expand my skills I'm still learning many new things every day I'm excited within the position I've been I've been an executive director for the past year and it's been quite a tremendous journey and and a, and a significant challenge with many opportunities that are and many doors that have opened to me so I'm very very excited to share some of my experiences and how I got to this stage
0: thank you so much Olivia and and people won't know but we actually connected a few years ago didn't we at uh where was it i can't remember was it one of the northern power women events
2: yes i think it was i, I was nominated for a forward ladies award uh by somebody in the sector i've never really found out who that person was but uh yes yeah, somebody nominated me and uh uh, part of that four ladies, I, I, I came across a number of very influential women, and uh, Advita was one of them. And yes, <laughs> and I connected with Advita, and I've never looked back because I could just tell from just the first uh, meeting with Advita that she was just so inspirational, so motivated. And I just wanted to be around, I just wanted to find out what keeps the buzz going and how she got to the position she's been in. And, It's been an exciting, challenging, fantastic experience ever since, I have to say.
0: Oh, well, 100% back at you, Olivia. And the reason I wanted to speak about that connection was, you know, we we speak about, uh, and I know something Priya and I talk about quite a lot, and I know Priya's got questions around this as well, and we will have, but around the visibility bit, because the work you do in education and the journey you've had to get to that position hasn't been easy, has it? And I know we've spoken about this offline quite a few times so do you want to share with us about some of the some of the challenges you've faced in in the world of education because I, we've read so many reports and I know it's commonplace across many kind of western countries in terms of not having representation not having you know students and pupils not having teachers and educators who look like them who they can learn from and, you know, even having the, the faces and the voices like yourself behind the scenes, helping the quality assurance side and all that, there, there are not enough people like us, you know, visible doing this kind of work. So do you want to share a little bit about what inspired you to get into this space of, of work, especially when you didn't see many leaders who look like you in, the, in this area? Absolutely,
2: and thank you for saying that a bit. I think it's very, very important to highlight perhaps where my story starts from and how I got into education. So right after completing my uh, degree, uh, I went into uh, try to uh, uh, a management consulting company called Accenture, but I, I found out that I was having my first baby and they wanted me to go work in New York for six weeks as, as my first sort of uh, induction meeting on, on boarding. And that's the time I realized that um, perhaps this is not the job for me. I really wanted to be a consultant in management and I was very excited, but then I realized that actually I want to be a mom. And I don't want to sacrifice that for nobody. And I don't want to fly away and leave my baby when, just because for a job. So I, I had, I did some self-reflection. I spoke to my husband at that time and, and I said, look, um, this job sounds exciting, but um, I think perhaps I need to step away from it. I, I'd love to be a consultant, but maybe I need to consider this later on in my career. So I packed that uh, for the time being in terms of consultant. So that was back in 2005 when I had my firstborn son. Uh, moving on, I decided to do a PGC, which is a postgraduate certificate in education. And that was that led me into teaching. So I, I, I was qualified as a, as a teacher in... Um, 2008 2009 late 2000 late 2008 early 2009 so i started my full teaching career and that gave me the flexibility of being a full time mom as well as making sure that i'm still enjoying my family life and i can give back to enjoy and give back to my, as a teacher and, and and continue to develop my career so it was very much a case of balancing the two and i find out i found out that being a teacher actually gave me an overview in terms of uh what the world is thinking, are I, I very much engaged with some of my students. I was very, very excited being a business studies teacher and moving on to management and marketing. So uh, for about six years, I spent quite a lot of time um, Teaching in the classroom and just engaging with with various students. Uh, I had my second child as well, so I continued to be within the career of mom as well as making sure that I'm I'm focusing on what I want with uh, within my career. I had a very, my husband was very supportive, and that that really does help to make sure you have somebody who's supportive with you. So uh, after six years during that period, I started noticing a, a shift in terms of narrative, a shift in terms of. Uh, uh, starting to challenge in terms of what is next. Uh, unfortunately for me, the proverbial glass ceiling started having a sort of a, a pushback to me and I could see it within a, within miles. I'd walk into a classroom and I'd try and discuss an issue that I'd experienced in the classroom with my head of school. And there was already a barrier there in terms of dis- discussing diversity, in terms of discussing what um, uh, black students should be achieving, and in terms of maybe most importantly, their career prospects. And because I was doing business studies as a as a, as a, as a, as a, as I was teaching business studies as a, as a subject, I was very much focused on trying to make sure my students understand the importance of trying to align your, your studies with or trying to understand where your studies are going and what's the next stage. So you should be thinking about car- your career and how you're going to, to, to get to the next stage. And a number of students who particularly looked like me, or when when, were, when non-white students, uh, to, 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 to make a shot, were finding themselves in positions where there was no advice, nobody's there to encourage them. In fact, I remember one or two conversations with a number of a couple of black girls who felt that there was no point in trying because they did not see women like me in senior positions, and they didn't feel that uh, the country or where they were in that position in the classroom, they were being their 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 career aspects were being elevated or they were being encouraged to 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 aspire to something bigger than. What is presented to them, which was you're either going to be a a, a, a nurse working in the hospital, uh, there's options for you to be a maid if you want to, or there's options to be a nanny or a nursery nurse. So their career limits were very much challenged and the, their narrative was very much, well, these are the type of kids, they're doing really well in school, but we don't need to push them because there's no point. And that was very much the, the narrative that they were being fed. And I, I very much said, well, I don't think that's, that is correct. and And I really want you to open your minds towards being able to achieve what you want to be. And, the, and they say to me, well, we, we think you're really we're a really good teacher, but uh, uh, we can see even you, you're not going to be able to go. If you want to be ahead of school, do you think you'll ever be ahead of school? And I said, of course I will be. And then obviously at the back of my head, I do you want you to relay this to them that I've already seen the proverbial glass ceiling. And I'm never going to be ahead of school where I am. And uh, I need to start making changes. And that conversation and sort of instigated me to start thinking what is next for me. This can be it and I need to prove these girls that I'm teaching who look like me, I need to prove them wrong. I need to tell them you can actually be what you want to be. And that was sort of what set up this um, trajectory for me to start thinking what is next for me. So I moved from the classroom without a plan. I decided teaching, I've, I've packed it up, because I still love education. I was very passionate about education, particularly educating girls, which is a, a story that has been sat with me because knowing from my maternal uh, mother to my grandmother, my grandmother, if, to, cut, to make the story a little bit sh- short and not too long, uh, my grandmother was um, grew up in the village uh, and uh, she had about seven daughters. And out of the seven daughters, uh, She had eight boys and my grandfather used to uh, bring the upkeep money and insist that only the boys go to school, not the girls. But my grandmother became very um, sort of ambitious and decided, no, she's going to make sure her daughters go to school. So she started brewing illicit alcohol on the side and educated my mom and educated all her seven daughters. And I'm here because my mom was educated so I feel there's sort of that push to make sure that if I see any girl who's been challenged not to get the right education, I will aspire to challenge and make sure that that narrative continues because I have to keep carrying that torch that my grandmother foresaw, all time back in the stuff back in the village, and I have to keep saying, yes, you have to carry on. And my, my, my story, when my mom told me that story, I, and now at the position I am in and that's sort of sits with me deep inside and it's instilled with me that I have to carry this forward. And when I decided to drop teaching and have no plan whatsoever, that was part of what was driving me, that motivation, that this is something that my grandmother foresaw. So, so I have to finish the journey. They started the journey for me, so I have to finish this and I have to tell you that saying that uh, when you educate a girl, you educate a village. That is so true because none of my, uh, uncles achieved what I have been able to achieve today, or even my mother was able to achieve today. And I think that is part of that making sure that girls are empowered and educated and it's been something that's really been instilled with me. So to move it not too fast back to where I am now. So that was what was driving me without a plan. I I, I decided to apply for a local consultant job, which was um, working for the council. Uh, uh, And it was a 12-month contract. But within three months, I realized that's not the contract for me. I'm never going to work for the council because it 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 just wasn't challenging enough. And in that period, I started seeking for another role and I started thinking, I need to stick with education, but I need to find another role. So I worked for the council as a, partnership and policy manager, which was just revising a number of policies with the government. It wasn't very uh, challenging for me, as I said, so I decided I need to move on to another role, which I I came across working for an exam board, and this is the role that I'm currently in. So in the role within about two years, luckily for me, uh, my manager, my manager at that time was able to foresee my skills and my abilities and, and decided to make me the head of quality within about seven months, because wow. I already demonstrated that, uh, passion and that resilience. And I didn't have the exposure of working on an international basis, but I had to learn that very, very quickly, but I was very determined. At the back of my head, perhaps my determination came in from the fact that I was working with some very, um, countries who have faced uh, political uh, sort of uh, situations and economical situations such as Malawi, such as Kenya, where I am originally from and my grandmother is. So that really gave me the motivation and the zing to just keep carrying on. Um, And following from that story, I sort of picked myself up and I realized that I'm not only working for uh, my grandmother, I'm working for all those other girls in the villages who've been told no because my story will perhaps one day inspire them to carry on and remember that there's somebody who's telling them that you're not good enough. And that was exactly my journey from the, being in the classroom and being told I could never make be ahead of school, literally, to moving on to the position I, I am in and finding the right manager who made me into a head of uh, quality and compliance, because I started asking the questions really early. If you know and you believe in yourself, start asking the question, start asking your manager, what is next? And that's exactly what I did. If I got a manager who told me that there's no next, then I'll be thinking, well, I'm out of here. Make a plan. And that's what I started doing.
1: I I love that. I love that, Olivia. The the your whole story is absolutely incredible. And you know, when we think about, you know, the purpose of a leader like me. It's being able to see leaders like you to inspire you. And for you, it sounds to me that your grandmother was that anchor and your mother after her really provided that narrative that says, I get to choose and I have power. And if I see a situation I don't like, I'm going to change it. Would you say that's the truth? That you've really
2: hit the nail on the head there, Priya. I think that's exactly sums it all up. That is the way I, my mother raised me. My mother raised me. It was very unfortunate. It was, it it could be defined as a a, 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 patriarchy was very much in play, but my mother made sure that if patriarchy was in play, I, I managed to make a plan beyond those that patriarchy and be able to surpass it and forego any sort of boundaries that's telling me that I am confined in a box. And because I'm a woman, I have a place. My place is to believe that if I've got a gift, if I've got skills, if I've got talent, and if the doors are open, I should be shooting way past or flying past those through those doors. And that's exactly what I went with. And that was exactly instilled for me from a child. You will find yourself in situations that will place barriers. But as long as you have the right frame of mind, you can surpass those barriers. And I think that, and that's why meeting Elvita was very sort of um, uh, one of those defining moments for me because every sort of journey, I, I just looked at her journey and I read after meeting her, I just saw this light shining from just meeting and interacting with her. And I thought, let me go read up a little bit about what she's done. And I was very inspired with some of the things she's done. And I thought, well, this is a really good case. If somebody can do this and set up their own business, then I need to be part of this. I need to be part of this network of women, because you will get to a stage where you feel that, uh, Today is a dry day. I don't really feel like doing anything. But this network of uh, women that I'm now part of, which is part of a leader like me, has really helped me on those days where I I don't feel like doing anything. And that's why when I saw it, I knew I I had to keep uh, making sure that she knows I'm there. I'm in her space. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe, (laughs) maybe too much, but I I, I think, (laughs) It's worked for me. It's worked for me. And I know sometimes, yes, I will keep knocking. But sometimes that saying that if you keep knocking, the door will open. It does open. And that is the stage I've been. i made it very, very clear when I got to the awarding sector that this is what I wanted. I told my manager, if there's a position to apply here, I need to be applying for it. Uh, Unfortunately, that good manager left. I found myself with a very different manager, who was very much opposed to everything I was doing. In fact, tried to or told me in other words, um, it'd be good if I moved on. <laughs> <laughs> and, and 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 but this is again, this is it. It sort of reinforces, and and that's the thing with me. The minute you present me present yourself to be a challenge with me, I will leave to prove you wrong. And that's exactly what I did. So,
0: <laughs> you know what, Olivia, I remember you telling me that story about your, you know, the struggles you had. With, with the manager in terms of them not believing in you or feeling, you know, and, I, and we chatted, didn't we, about, you know, when we say this in the community as well, I know you've been part of some of these conversations about when people feel threatened by you and your, your ability, they can retreat and make you feel like you're the one that's in the wrong, right? So that's where those whole microaggressions start from. But, you know, throughout the chats we've, we've had in the last 20 minutes and stuff, you know, there's no doubt you're tenacity and confidence and courage is what keeps you going at the pace that you're going and that's what we you know Priya and I and, and, and you know that day when I met you you, you you said some really lovely things about me but it's completely you know back at you as well because I spotted you and those of you who who you know you can't see Olivia right now but Olivia commands a room and uh, when she walks into a room you know Olivia's there because she just it was in it was in one of the Hi, right. It was in in centre of Manchester, in, in top six floor, sixth floor somewhere, one of those fancy offices. I think it was Ernst & Young. I think we are in there. And as soon as you walked in, though, you have a presence, right? Your shoulders are back, your head is held high, You you exude this confidence and courage. And, you know, so many times I have been in so many different events where women who look like us tend to walk in timidly you know, head down, don't want to make a big scene, you know, keeping that kind of comfort area quite close. And that is because, you know, some of us haven't been privileged to have leaders who encourage us. You know, I know you said your previous manager was great and looked at you for support, but imagine if you had that leader, that manager who said that to you, I think it's time for you to probably move on. If that was your first experience of career, you know, that it completely knocks your confidence and it can stop you moving on and progressing. And you you spoke before about girls in the classrooms who, you know, don't see anyone who they can relate to because they don't see ambition around them really, or feel like that even if they had ambition, it's going to get knocked out, knocked out, uh, knocked out the way. And you spoke about your journey about every step and every adversity you face. You know, you've had the management consultancy to education where the, you know, the leaders were saying to you, don't even bother going for head of school, basically, is what they were saying, right? Because you're not going to succeed. Yeah. And, but every time you found a route out, you know, uh, my question to you is what, I know you spoke about your grandmother and any mother, but what do you do on those days where you just feel so disconnected and tired, right? Because we have those conversations in our community about, we're just you get that phase where you get a bit tired and a bit exhausted and you just don't have the energy to continue. And you think, why do I bother? You, every time you face into that, it's giving you a power surge and it's made you go into the next thing. So what is it that you you grasp onto and, and use as your energy to get to that next level?
2: Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. And thank you so much for for the compliments as well. I, and, and just to start off with in terms of the presence, I think that's something I've had to really dig deep and learn from. And um, confidence was something that's given to me. I've had to practice it a lot. Uh, there's something called uh, daily affirmations. Mm-hmm. I used to have a screen of them. I'd write them down. One of my favourite was, I think something that Maya Angelou said, which is when you walk into a room, remember you, you walk in, you might be the only black woman or Asian woman or the only different person in that room. But remember, you don't. You, you not only stand as one. You stand as as, as ten thousand of you. Mm. So every time I'd walk into a room, I'd I'd put that in my head and I'd picture the first two important people: my grandmother on one side, my mom, both of them the passed away, rest in peace, both of them. They'd hold me on the shoulder, and then all the women who came before them, who were told, uh, "Your role is in the kitchen," or. You, you, this is your limit. So I'd remember that, that I have the 10,000 women walking with me. So I'd walk into a room with that thought that mm, remember, love that you are the 10,000 walking here as the 10,000. That was the first thing on my mind, walking into a room and that I really had to practice that a lot. So daily affirmations, um, does help when it comes to, uh, in terms of, uh, trying to build that confidence, which I've really had to do over the years. It's not something that uh, was given to me. I was very shy, introverted, uh, and still am in some ways. But I think one key thing that I've really leaned on, on on the really difficult days is I'm a big reader. I'm a big Mm -hmm. reader. And my reading comes in as part of my self-care. And there's days where even my husband or my children know do not talk to mommy, do not do anything, do not not even go there because she's either got a really good book and that reading does really help me escape it. So Mm -hmm. it's my way of really escaping. So I'll escape to that book and I'll really go into that book because nobody else can understand. It doesn't matter how I explain to somebody how I'm really feeling, the microaggressions, the uh, racism I'm thinking at that moment or any issues that has happened to work all the biasness and everything that's really frustrating me i do sort of go back and my introverts comes in and i can be a recluse at that moment because i really want to finish this book and it could be a whole day i'll take and i'll make sure that that day i just look after myself because i'm Mm. not in a good place to talk to anybody because if i talk to you i won't be talking to you i will probably be (laughs) back I would bite your head off or something. So I've I've learned that, yes, learning myself and learning about myself and self introspection has really been a key factor, knowing when I'm really at the lowest, what I can do. And and I've set some strategies. So one of them is self-care, which has been reading a good book. I'm also big into uh, running. So I will have a good run to just let out this team. I will get some good music and get some headphones and I listen to some very powerful music if it comes to it. I, I think one of my favorite is Nas. I know I can, I can do anything I want to be. And I know I can be anything I want to be. So I used to play that to my, to my, um, to my students back in the day. I used to stand there. I used to remind them you can be anything you want to be. So I was thinking, well, I need to remind myself that as well. So I'd get some really good music, go for a good run, even if it's 30 minutes. If I can't do the run, I will go for a easy walk, but I will still listen to music. And I think this is the importance of knowing yourself because I absolutely love my company when it comes to those minutes, because as I say, if I speak to anybody, I'm not going to be speaking. It would be a really, I would bite your head or something. Yeah, I will not be having a normal conversation because I'm in a bad place. So I have recognized that. And um, I will also go for a swim if I want to not get into any gadgets or anything. So I think exercise, understanding myself, or just booking myself into a nice massage does help. <laughs> I love that. Lots of
1: self-care.
2: Yeah, um, self care has been the biggest thing for me yeah. when to recover because no it doesn't matter I could talk to somebody but I, it's it's never going to be talking mm-hmm. because at that moment a lot of people will say I understand your feeling but nobody knows your journey as yourself and I think that's that's where it comes from.
1: So so let's talk a little bit about the fact that you've stepped into places especially this latest non-executive role position where you do not see anyone any leaders who look like you. And so I want to t- talk about the choice of, that you've made to be first and why you've made those choices. Why are those so important?
2: Thanks for that. I think that's a really good question in terms of choices. I think just looking back uh, from my journey, from where I started with, uh, uh, in education, I wanted to change the narrative. And I knew I'm not going to change the narrative by using the same strategies I needed a different strategy. I think a lot of times, and this is something I've seen very much in terms of, and the media doesn't help with this narrative. A lot of black women, unfortunately, if you get to a certain position, it's like, oh yeah, you are either loud or you're too aggressive, all the negative stereotypical uh, um, sort of, uh, headlines that we do see associated with anybody who is influential, who is a black woman or who is not, who is non-white. So I wanted to change that narrative and I thought, what's the best way to change that narrative? I realized I need to have a presence and that's why if you look at my, I have a Twitter account and I'm, I'm semi-active, but not as active as I'd like to be, but I'm, I'm still active. I decided I'm going to use my own personal strength and my, my strength comes in from reading. I'm a big reader and I'm, a, I'm big in any sort of um, key sort of uh, defining moments when it comes to reading. So for example, when I call it a defining moment, I'll pick a book, one of my favorites, as I did say, it's Maya Angelou. I'll pick a Maya Angelou quote. And at that moment, just reading and quoting that quote on my personal profile and making sure I'm active there, does have those moments where it, it sort of makes people reflect because a lot of the times, a lot of the narratives I see particularly out here with education or anybody who's tried to uh, maybe sway or look at racism or anti-racism or try to change that narrative of, of, of certain structural racism or institutional racism. There's almost a denial or a a barrier, or there's always something to, to come and stop that narrative. And it's very much, it comes in, a, in in such a great force. And it's very much, oh, these are the woke people. I did want that. I wanted people to see the real life stories of somebody like me, somebody like me who's coming from a different country. Uh, I'm still very uh, big on reading. And I wanted to use my platform to be able to help people to look at books from a side of from a softer angle to see that we're actually still human, but maybe it's also worth to remember that even back in the country where I come from, because a lot of the times I remember even being in school and being a teacher, a lot of the students don't believe there's anything in Africa. So I think that was one of my key um, sort of um, strategies, which is I want to change the the African narrative. I want them to see that there is people in Africa who actually have hopes, wishes, desires, I used my books as a way to try and interact with the industry. I, I did try to encourage people to read, read books that are not um, uh, sort of written by authors that are, they're very familiar with, read on a wider scale. And I used to use that as, a, I, I used that as a platform to try and engage with more readers, engage with the education sector. And, and I found that actually because I read, I knew quite a lot of people in the education sector. So I used to go specifically to a number of high level education people and say, hi, I'm following, I'm following you now. I'm a big reader. Uh, and that's it. And see if they'd respond to me. <laughs> some would, some would ignore me, but it was a <laughs> sort of route. And I felt like on a day, particularly like sometimes, Martin Luther King days or all the other days that come in, I would send certain things to specific people who I knew were, were very influential. But I'm not doing that in an aggressive manner because I think mm. the industry has got to a position where they feel any challenge on anti racism is, is an aggressive tone. And I, I felt perhaps a softer approach. But that doesn't mean I'm going to be a doormat. I will challenge mm. it, it needs to be, but I will continue to make sure I remember my platform. And my platform is very much. I want to show uh, the the education sector that these books that are outside of the norm, which is uh, the English specific books, Mm. they need to start letting kids explore the world as it should be and not um, sort of confine them in this homogeneous sort of way of learning. And I think that's what I really wanted to change. And I think I've done that successfully because I think one of the key, one of my key main, authors who I really love is Bernadine Evaristo, and now she's part of the GCSE. And I think that's been really key. Mm. And, it, and because my sector deals with assessments and exams a number of times, even the exams I saw that they were writing, they were almost discriminatory. And mm. nobody was challenging that. So I kept it, well, you can't challenge it because you've managed to um, keep away anybody who looks like me. So how would you know this assessment is not correct or it's biased? So if I'm sitting an exam and the first question I look at it has sort of already um, insulted me in a way, then I'm not going to perform m- my best in that exam. And those mm-hmm. were the debates I needed the industry to look at. And I felt they're not going to do that by me talking to them. My platform on Twitter has been a very key, it's been very strategic in terms of water share. It's been purposeful. It hasn't, And yes, sometimes I will take out some of the things, but I will come back. (laughs) But I think that sort of has helped the industry re-engage with reading. We engage educators to think, what are you doing in a classroom? Uh, Is your role just to continue the same narrative of you're going to get kids to continue spoon feeding them the same way of learning? Or is your role to expand their learning and engagement to see that there's a bigger world out here? And this is how the world functions. because the narrative that they had in some of the countries that are also one or two continents were completely ridiculous. And I mm. really wanted to change that narrative.
0: Unless th- you know, and I think you definitely have, Olivia. And there's been so much conversation around the books that children consume and, you know, are there the right books that they're consuming and what are people doing about that? And I think when you're surrounded by people who think like you and look like you to an extent you don't see it do you like you you know your point there where you're sitting in an exam and if you're you know a a black child or a South Asian child or whatever and you're reading that question you're a bit like you know you've it's that uncomfortableness now I've been there you know we've all been there when I've done exams especially around you know English lit and English language where you know some of the stuff isn't quite quite right and you know I love the work that you're doing and the the federation that you're a non-exec are lucky to have someone like you to support them and and give you and give feedback you know to them. You know, Olivia, we could talk to you all day for hours and hours. You've got such great insight, but we're going to move on to the rapid fire question round. We are going to get a new name for this by the way in season two. (laughs) But we're going to ask you a couple of questions and we'd love to know what your your thoughts are on this. So the first question is name a leader you admire who inspired you.
2: Oh, wow. Um, I have
0: many leaders I
2: admire who inspire me for their characters, values, and traits, but I'll, I think I'll go for Oprah Winfrey because she's compassionate, she's inspirational, she's direct, she's fearless, and she's, I mean, many people have called her um, transformational and charismatic leader. Um, she stimulates intelligence, problem-solving, I'm also passionate about the fact that she's opened our own, um, the first woman to own her own broadcasting network. Um, and the way she's also stood for girls in South Africa and other girls from countries who, if uh, looking back, perhaps maybe my mom benefited from a woman like her coming to set up a school because my mom was educated by a charity school. So yeah, so I think she would be one
1: at the top of my tree, definitely. I love Oprah. I'm a big Oprah fan. Here's question two, Olivia. What is the one piece of advice you would give your younger self?
2: Oh, wow. That's a good one. Um, I think looking back to where I am now, it's a good thing. I didn't know that uh, all the things that have happened to me would happen to me. And if I'd known all the pains and heartaches I would encounter in my life, even amidst the joy and victories, and um, it would surely have been too much to bear. I would probably would have said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing in the towel, but I uh, think looking where I am now, it's, it's a good thing I didn't know. Uh, but I, I would, if I was to talk to my younger self, I would say, continue to be kind to yourself, continue to know yourself and well. um, And the world is definitely, definitely bigger than you think, and your worries aren't as important and just continue to be you. And uh, don't worry about being different, looking different. That is your ticket to where you're going to.
0: <laughs> great, great advice. You know, it's, it's so interesting that you said... If I knew as my younger self the adversities and challenges I would face, I don't think I probably would have taken that route. And that's something we don't give ourselves enough you know, credit for, do we? And I loved, I love that advice. You know, being kind to yourself and, and self-care is, is critical. Um, the last question, what wouldn't we know about you by just looking at you? Oh wow. <laughs>
2: um I don't like to share this, but I'll share it uh, because it's, it's, it's something I did for my sister. My sister needed a kidney and I donated my kidney to my sister.
0: Um, wow. So wow. We're, coming to,
2: <laughs> we're coming to about uh, nine, no, 10 years. 10 years will be this year in, uh, in August, September. 10 year anniversary for, for, for giving her a kidney and she's doing really, really well. But uh, yeah, it's part of my giving that uh, I, I think that's why I feel the blessings because giving has given me more. I feel, I feel like that, definitely.
0: Love that, Olivia. Gosh, if I couldn't love you anymore, you just added something else to that now. Incredible, absolutely incredible. So people wanted to, you mentioned Twitter, so people wanted to connect with you, wanted to carry on this conversation. Where can they find you? We'll make sure we put it in the show notes as well. Yeah,
2: I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. If you want to join a leader like me, I'll be there. I'll be coming to many sessions.
0: <laughs> Amazing. We didn't pay you to say that, by the way. <laughs> I love those oh.
2: sessions. I think that they just, that support of community of like-minded women, I think it's, it's, it's great. It's what you've set up is brilliant.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Olivia, for your time today. You are such uh, an inspiration and I can feel the power in your voice, in your, uh, you know, your persona, all of those things we've never met in real life, but uh, you know, I am honored to know you. We're thank you for be- being with <laughs> us. We will.
0: Hopefully, definitely in June for the conference, we'll, we'll, get, yes. we'll get, we'll get, we'll get going. But thank you, Olivia. As I, I am, I am privileged to know you personally. I am grateful for your time today and As Priya said, I echo her sentiments. You are an absolute inspiration. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank
2: you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure.